This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network with David Nickturn. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and monologist, and it is my privilege to introduce the third of our three arms of mindfulness series. This episode will be about reactivity, or perhaps more accurately, it will be about how to respond instead of react. This is a great discussion with David, where he lays out the Buddhist framework of the three kleshas in relation to reactivity, and he also skillfully helps me clarify psychological space in addition to our usual sense of duration and distance. There's much more to this episode, and we appreciate you listening, so we're going to get right to it. Enjoy! So, Michael, why don't we start um, with... The comment you just made about your cousin, what she what she mentioned to you, it's and it's a very grounded kind of question, and may, maybe gets us launched into something that could actually be useful for people. God's forbid. Yeah. Well, uh, my cousin who comes to, you know, my my sessions on mindfulness where we practice and I share the practice, just asked the very salient question: How do I be less reactive at work? Yeah. And I would like to add to that that quite a few students over the years have said one of the signs that their meditation practice is taking root somehow is they find at work that situations that may have triggered them are not as quick to trigger them uh, in their current kind of state of uh, being. And they attribute it to having stabilized and activated a regular mindfulness practice. So I guess we should start by thinking, well, what are we actually referring to when we say reactive? Of course, and the classical thing when, you know, we're not alone in this conversation, everybody's having it, is would be the difference between being responsive and reactive. And the, the responsive has intelligence to it and the reactivity is kind of not so intelligent and therefore... Um, more motivated, more governed by uh, clashes or, you know, uh, emotional responses that don't have much uh, efficacy in promoting harmony and, and communication. Let's, <laughs> let's define a clash that way. It's, it's a kind of emotional texture, but not one that has uh, the, the quality of bringing forth greater understanding between people. So, and those three are, of course, the passion, aggression, and ignorance. Uh, 
and it's sort of obvious from them. Now, the one that's maybe not as obvious uh, is, is the passion. People say, what's wrong with passion? So to be clear, in this sense, we're talking about reactive passion, which is grasping at something because you think you know that somehow is going to make you feel better. The aggression is pushing away something that's unpleasant uh, with a kind of harshness and speed. Uh, it's not, it's not the intelligent aspect would be delineating. No, this is not good here. We don't want that here, but that's not what we mean by aggression. As far as the root glaciers go, it's more, uh, kind of violently pushing something away and, and in a reactive state, uh, the ignorance is just turning out the lights and hoping it'll go away. You know, the ostrich principle. And uh, I wish I knew it in Japanese, but there's a great Japanese saying about, um, Roughly speaking, referring to the ostrich principle, you know, you think you're hiding, but we see your butt. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I have to go back to my friend Suke in Tokyo, who who runs True Nature Studio there with us, and um, um, where we all gather and do the Japanese version of the Dharma that we're doing here with Dharma Moon. Uh, truenature.jp, if anybody's listening from who speaks Japanese or or lives in that neighborhood. I'm probably mutilating the very colorful phrase, uh, but we'll get it right and uh, maybe write it into the comment at some point. But when you're hiding your head, we still see your butt like an ostrich. So in other words, ignorance in that sense of just trying to avoid. So we have grasping, we have sort of, uh, you know, harshly and, and with uh, the carelessness pushing things away. And we have hiding your head in the sand as the three reactions that we most commonly go towards when we're confused by a situation. We never acknowledge the confusion. We solidify the reaction. It never creates uh, the outcome that we wish. That, I think, when I say never, that's a strong word I'm thinking, but really think about the last time you lashed out at somebody or, or grasped desperately at you know, your re relationship with somebody that it actually produced the outcome that you really felt would be beneficial for you or them or you and them. And um, so that reactivity at work is interesting because at work, you have a little bit of a trap there, which is good for us uh, tantric practitioners. You want a tantric style practitioner to be a little, feel a little bit claustrophobic actually during the day and that they can't just easily glide in and out of the situation. They have to pay attention, therefore, to these glaciers arising and um, not postpone it down the road. Let's kick the can down the road. We'll deal with that later or it will just magically go away. So it's more of a little alert system that comes up when we're experiencing reactivity. Oh, this is actually a kind of, the smoke alarm going off in your kitchen at that point. There's some kind of fire going on. Pay attention. So when people say their reactivity is being dialed down at work, we're here today together, you and me, Michael, my podkick, as you call it, which I think is, you. I don't know if anybody's coined that phrase or not before you, so you may have one in the lexicon, uh, a meme in the lexicon, podkick. What happens if we go from moment zero to one to two to three when we are being reactive at work? What's the sequence? 
when we're reactive? Well, uh, there is... <laughs> it's it's not a one two three. It's a one three. There's a stimulus, and then there's immediately a reaction, which is why they call it reactivity, right? It's <laughs> not, it's it's not considered. There's no space. Usually, it's very defensive. You know, there's like a real strong sense of I in there, um, and so there's yeah, you're you're not uh, taking a moment or a beat to. Um, process the situation or consider what might be constructive or kind or compassionate. So we're skipping two is an interesting uh, way of looking at it. You're saying we, we have one, which is the stimulus and two would be, what would two be if it were in place? It would be some kind of pause, evaluation, uh, perspective, insight, uh, intelligent calibration of what is going on and what's not going on would you say that's all in the two zone that just gets completely jumped over yeah yeah i mean you could just call it space but that might be getting a little abstract for this uh Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. work conversation Mm -hmm. but the idea of missing a beat the way you said it is kind of uh an interesting notion is that we speed through so would you say that reactivity you know, has something to do with our mind being kind of speedy and fast, just that we're a little bit in a rush to get to that three from one without going through two? Or not even aware of our rush, you know? So, I mean, like, I can potentially, with a mindfulness practice, you could be aware that you're in a rush, right? But that awareness is related to that two of space, you know? So space is, as you know, we use that word a lot, obviously, in our sort of tradition. And I think it's something, you know, somebody would go, mm, space? You mean like stars and sky and outer space and stuff like that? So could you say more what, what we might mean by space in this context? The, the opposite of claustrophobia. <laughs> <laughs> but even claustrophobia arises in space, you know? But are we I, talking about a physical space? An awareness of space, you know? I mean, in a way, if we're in a reactive state, we're kind of closed off by our own discursivity and our own energy, and we may or may not even be aware of that. Like, we're super, uh, we're very self-centered, even if it's, if, if it's vulnerable or something, you know? Like, just, like, look at a Twitter thread <laughs> and, like, see how quickly people are firing off. Right. Right. So by space, you mean time? I guess a, a little bit of a durational thing. But not to say that somebody couldn't act very skillfully and spontaneously in the moment. But that's probably a little further into the practice than just trying to be, you know. So, for example, when you say leave some space, you're saying leave some time. Even if it's a short period of time, to not just go from one to three. Two yeah. takes time. It, it occurs in time. If you don't leave any time for two, it does. Now, the opposite is you go, here's the impulse. So here's, here's this input, the, the uh, event of, of, let's say, your boss for the 95th time putting you down uh, sarcastically. Mm. You know, rolling the, their eyes at you and kind of going, there you go. Which again. never happens at Dharma mm. Moon, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, that's a whole nother conversation is if you're trying to um, propel, uh, pro, uh, you know, uh, offer these kind of suggestions uh, and then 
it comes home to roost. That's kind of a really powerful thing. And if you look at, you know, well-being communities or how how much we can do it, what we're talking about, how much can you, can you actually walk the walk? That's profound, I well, think. I think, you know, if we're talking about this too, right? And we're also yeah. talking about the ostrich head, right. that means you're just staying at two, right? The ostrich head, well, the ostrich head is, isn't really in contact with the experience. It's just, you freeze the space. Yeah, right? So, I mean, it's like like passion and aggression, you're going from one to three, right? Because you're either pushing away or you're grasping. Yeah. Right. And it like I think for me, when I notice that sort of when I that freeze response to you could also call it like you you get caught up and it dulled or it's there's fear. Like I don't I don't wanna say direct I don't wanna speak directly, even though that might be the most skillful and compassionate thing, right? Because that sort of gets into a subtler space of reactivity when there's like it is the time to speak up, but it's uncomfortable. Well, and and just to clarify once and for all for everybody, when you say space, obviously there was an element of time, but there's also an element of psychological space. Yes. That's something that Trung Bumate always clarified. We're talking about psychological space, uh, not not like fit, like how far you're sitting from somebody else, as obvious as that might be, um, or spaciousness, a feeling of, um, you know, things can take time. You can, you can marinate. But as you say, the glacier of ignorance mimics that space, but it has no awareness. It's just dull and kind of avoidant. So just to clarify that point. So um, so somebody, the boss, let's take that example. I, I don't know where it comes from. Um, I hope it doesn't come from, uh, from a place I thought of just a minute ago. Um, but all of us have to take turns. Like you yourself, Michael, you're a boss sometimes. You're a band leader, right? Yeah, and I would just like to apologize on air for everybody I've been inconsiderate to over my 20 years as a band leader. <laughs> and, you know, there are many, oh. many funny jokes and stories about some very famous band leaders who are dripping in sarcasm and negativity towards their uh, towards the people who work for them. Uh, can't tell these stories or jokes uh, on air, quote unquote, but, but somebody, boy, do I wish I could. Somebody could go to YouTube and type in <laughs> and that's all we're saying. Stop. That's <laughs> yeah. all we're saying. That's, that's the end of that conversation. Uh, so, yeah, so let's just take the generic of a boss who's uh, domineering, sarcastic, uh, who likes to govern by making people feel small. Uh, I think we could we could notice certain political leaders who might fit that bill again without needing to name anybody. It's not really necessary. Um, and we've been that person. That's a fair way to connect with the experience. And we've been, uh, you know, receiving end of that, everybody at work. So what happens if we're on the receiving end? Our boss for the 95th time is sarcastic and diminishing to, to us. Um, and we have that moment of we either go like, fuck you, in our mind, because we want to keep our job. Or we start singing the country song, take this job and shove it out loud. And then we're polishing up our resume at that point. Next. Or 
we're trying to con or seduce the other people or that person towards, aren't we sweet? Aren't we cute? You know, make a joke out of it or whatever, clinging to the situation or just freeze and, you know, go into a passive aggressive state. I think that's a very common experience. Your, what did you say it was your cousin? My cousin asked this question. Yeah. Yeah. So thank her for that. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 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 acknowledging here and now that you, me, and a lot of other people would go, yeah, now you're talking about where the rubber hits the road for these kind of practices. If it doesn't address, if you practice mindfulness for 20 years and it doesn't even affect all that, you would question what good is this? And I think rightfully so. But many people have said that it gets them slowed down to notice two. One happens and they don't speed by two and they take a breath and they examine the situation and and then they don't just slap in one of those clashes uh, as a kind of automatic response. They go out of automatic response mode. They become less of an automaton and more of a human being. And in that two spaces, you implied a little earlier, oh, podkick of my heart, <laughs> as you implied, um, somebody could feel tender. And somebody could feel a little bit vulnerable and even a little bit embarrassed um, and not, and also unclear as to what the right response would be, but they don't want to just mechanically jump to three because it's been so painful over so many eons to do that. And how, how brave to be in that two space and then to speak with a clear mind and an open heart. I'm, I'm confused. I don't understand. Are you okay? Y you know, I mean, there's a whole lexicon of, of what could happen there. And if you're in touch, so if we're mindful, our body and mind are synchronized. Between our body and mind is energy and speech, right? And... Um, you know, or you could be very direct. I don't appreciate you speaking to me like that. Perhaps we could try and engage in a more professional manner, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, you know, it's not, not easy to do. <laughs> well, and with some people, it's you would be actually signing your own death warrant by even, what do you think this is? A, you know, a, a cycle, you know, an encounter group? I'm the boss, you know? So it's a it's a culture change too. And And, and I think when you look at, how these understandings get implemented in a more cultural way, everybody's willing to go back to two and go, as a culture, we value process, we value feelings, we value humanity, we value uh, dignity, we value vulnerability. And honestly, if you're, from my perspective, you're really changing something when you change that. And the way I've seen it unfold for the 50 years I've been a grown-up in my life and in my culture is that the people who want to change that experience too, using this metaphorically, if we're in, in sync with that, kind of have gone off into their well-being realm and have the niche and can communicate in the niche and the people who go like what a bunch of malarkey that is have just kept rowing one three one three let's just get to where we think we're going 
but the two have not really merged yet. And um, the idea of a, a, a business, a well-being business that is, and I have started to see some, Michael, they're, they're, you're starting to taste a little bit of this where they go, it's not just enough for us to use the conventional business mode to propel uh, the well-being scenario, the well-being download. And the people who are propelling the well-being uh, download are trying to enter the mainstream conversation. And that's going to be a real culture shift. And it's possible. I believe it's possible. But, uh, you know, both both sides have to become less arrogant about their perspective. And uh, that's going to be a real a real job. Well, being less arrogant about our perspective is in the two space <laughs> that we're talking about, right? That's, that's one, two, three. And I think, you know... We were just talking about resilience in another one of these, and uh, cultivating individual resilience is very important, you know. Mm. But um, as a preparatory work for this interactive sphere that we enter, yeah, you've got to go home and do it, and then come back to work. But at the same time, something to contemplate collectively is that there there may be limits to individual resilience within systems and that that and that is part of the reason why we all need if we can do the work with ourselves and bring this mindful communication whatever you know into the world you know that work we're doing with ourselves becomes relational and it's it's important and that's that's why we're here having these conversations you know my cousin who asked that question works at a hospital it's a very difficult. T- I mean, I can't imagine at this point, oh, you know, what it's what it's like being in that kind of burnout and stress for this long. You know, so I just want to. And then in that case, individual resilience, you know, is gold. It's golden for getting through this pandemic. Individual resilience is golden because you can go down, and you go down a second time, and then you think you're going down for the third time of just being overwhelmed, depressed, anxious to the point of becoming dysfunctional. And for me personally, people have asked me, what are you doing? I said, mindfulness, shamatha, meditation, bring your mind back. And uh, it's, not as a, it's not as a fortress, but it's as a stabilizing element in a very chaotic time. Uh, when you could question, if your mind is going to go loose, it could question the basis of the whole situation. I have very smart friends who just think the human race is going down the toilet, basically. Really smart people, like educated people. They, now they're working for a better outcome. You know, they're not like, you know, nihilistic or depressed. But, you know, some of my friends are pretty strongly feel that uh, we've, we've drilled a hole in the center of the possibility of thriving for this species. And it's fatal. So if we don't want to become a Pollyanna and, you know, you know, Nirvanite and just say, oh, it's all, you know, whatever. Uh, and we don't want to become a nihilist. You know, there's a lot of processing that happens. And the conclusion I feel you have to come to is it doesn't matter the outcome. Even if you're going down, for example, I personally think, you know, I'm going to be 74 in next month. I think, well, how much longer can this thing go on? So even if the whole world is here and I'm gone, it's the same deal as far as I'm concerned and vice versa. So there's something built into the fabric of impermanence that says no matter what the situation, the value of mindful awareness is almost, you could say, eternal. 
you know, you say things like that, and you you, you put a little bow on it, and then there's space. <laughs> We're talking about space. There's psychological space. There's space space. I'm like. We're on a podcast, right? I'm just in two right now. I'm thinking like, because there's a part of me that's like, well, I just want to sit with that, you know? But then, I'm like, well, it's a podcast. I got to say something, right? So, yeah. Um, Actually, it's a different kind of podcast. <laughs> Slightly in that way. Well, even how much space we just left there, right? Like, Yeah, but I don't think anybody would, you know, surprisingly, it's that thing where I used to try to... Uh, create some kind of videos to present to the public about meditation. And so we would go into the Dharma Center and, and film people doing walking meditation or sitting meditation. There's nothing to show. And if you show it on video, which is we're used to sit in front of our computer or our television, and let's go, let's go, let's go. And it looks like a bunch of zombies walking meditation. And so we have to find other ways in media to present spaciousness. Uh, and that was a big thing, actually, for Trungpa Rinpoche, is could we actually use media, art, theater, film? Uh, and there are some very beautiful films that use space as a, a very legitimate element. And so in Dharma Moon, when we talk about the cultural uh, implication, it would include like, okay, here's a film festival of movies that... Uh, actually include this kind of spaciousness as part of the fabric of their of their um, drama. And then people can, you know, get a scent of what that feels like. Um, the organizing of that film festival... Yeah, you want to do it? ...would be... <laughs> we could talk about that after. <laughs> but that creativity, that creative drive, also this is something I think about. It brings us into relationship with people. You know, so to to put that film festival into effect and bring it to fruition, we would need to use our mindfulness, our skillful communication, our in our minds and our hearts, you know, to really bring it forward. So hopefully, you know, there people do do these things. They're niche and often well done at the Rubin Museum or someplace like that, but they are not part of our mainstream culture in the West. And the fact that the industrial West, uh, the business West, the entertainment West is nibbling like a mouse, in my perception, like a mouse trying to eat the cheese out of a cage without getting caught in the cage, which means actually now you're really practicing and going deeper. Is there some way we can keep our thing together, nibble a little bit of this cheese and get a little taste of the mindfulness thing without getting trapped and going, wow, I have to go kind of there's implication of like once you start you need to keep going with that exploration so that's going to be the gravity effect i don't know if you can push that that may be just um, momentum but we can lay seeds down i'm certain of this where you introduce culture that puts people a little bit more in touch with uh, the possibility of not being so reactive as and, and feeding the reactivity as a way and calling it entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's been part of my journey as a performer and a mindfulness practitioner, right? As somebody who holds a microphone. <laughs> oh, what power. 
you know. But if you're going to start this journey, it's going to shift things, you know. And if you don't want things to shift, you're probably not going to start it. And the the purer view is that there's nothing to lose and nothing to gain, mm. which is maybe a topic for another podcast. <laughs> well, and then in terms of just putting a bow on it, I just thought of Jeff Beck. Like, he's incredibly florid. Any guitar player, ask your guitar player friends who Jeff Beck is or who is one of the great guitar players. Everybody gets it. He's a guitar player's guitar player. And he is very active in the space and very dynamic and very, you know, evocative. But it doesn't feel speedy. Like, every note is is got its place and also is being expressed like expressivity, um, you know, the level of expressivity per note is as high as it gets for guitar players. Um, you know, B.B. King comes to mind. Mm. You know, and it's not just laying more notes on it, but like one note comes out and, and you're in two for a while. You're in, and, and you're, but you're feeling something very poignant and very blissful at the same time and also kind of sweet and sad and all... all the entire range of feeling and you can connect with it. So I think this is something for artists to have these kind of conversations is, is not so conceptual. At that point, if you're expressing it through uh, music or through painting or through art, in a way you're really helping a lot of people get a, a, a vibe into this. Well, we put a bow on it. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And good luck. Yeah, good luck. Hang out in the two every two. once in a while, everybody. <laughs> Hang in in the two. Be well. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Victor E. Frankel. Thank you for listening, everyone, to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. If you would like to hear more of this podcast, we encourage you to head over to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash David. We are also on YouTube now if you'd like to see the podcasts on video. Also, a special thank you to Corey, JR, and Sarah, and everyone at the Be Here Now Network for their hard work and dedication in getting these podcasts out, as well as for all their hard work continuing Ram Dass's legacy. There is an ever-growing library of amazing podcasts continuing the world's wisdom traditions just a click away for anyone with internet access. Also, if you'd like to connect with us in community at Dharma Moon and study with David, head over to dharmamoon.com. These podcasts are evergreen. However, we have a rich series of offerings we are continually running right now, including mindfulness meditation teacher trainings, which are co-certified with the Tibet House, the cultural seat of His Holiness the Dalai Lama in the U.S. We also have a Foundations of Mindfulness program for anyone who would like to begin, deepen, or establish a mindfulness practice. We have an open community meditation series once a month and are now starting a monthly series of mindfulness and webinars with special guests. We currently have Albert Valoldo, Pete Holmes, and Mirabai Star slated to be special guests in the coming months. Find out more at dharmamoon.com. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. 
All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.